you need to surround yourself with people, you know, the right people. And the right people are, number one, people that will pull you up. And number two, people that need to be pulled up by you. And you need to be willing to pull and be pulled. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our co-host today is Albert Hathazi from alberthathazi.com, and he's on Twitter at Albert Hathazi. Hey, Albert. Hello there, Jared. How are you? Man, I'm doing good. And it's funny because our guest today is someone you've actually interviewed, just kind of a short eight-minute interview, but would you be willing real quick just to tell the listeners a little bit about your interview with Caesar, and then I'll introduce Caesar. Well, my interview with Caesar is spiritual advisor that Caesar knows quite well through my little podcast, and we had a little bit of fun doing that interview. <laughs> okay, so that's a character you do called Yogi. Yeah, the Maharishi. For those who don't know Albert, yeah, for those who don't know Albert, he's got a lot of characters, and you should be listening to his podcast because it's one of my favorites. That said, our interview guest today is Caesar Abid, and Caesar is the awesome host of the PM for the Masses podcast and the Construction Industry podcast. He's originally from Brazil. Caesar immigrated to Canada, earned his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, and is now a certified project management professional. In 2004, he joined as a full-time project manager for Raymond Tech, which provides services for construction project managers. And since then, he has successfully implemented and managed security and monitoring projects throughout the U.S., Canada, Peru, and Brazil. Not only is he passionate about bringing project management solutions to the construction industry, but he's also expanded his scope by helping people in various industries as well. Helping people take charge of their careers and lives and taking them to the new levels are simply what Caesar hopes to be known for. Caesar, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you. That was a great introduction, Jared. You're good at this. You should, you should have your podcast. You know. <laughs> yeah, I should start podcasting. This isn't Albert's first rodeo either. All right, Caesar, you know what's coming. What is the best concert that you have ever been to? The best concert was Paul McCartney. Mm. You know, I grew up in Brazil and these guys don't go there very often. So I didn't grow up with a lot of concerts, but a huge a Beatles fan. And just a couple of years ago, Paul played here in Detroit, which is a two hour drive. And I went there with my dad and he sang some uh, obscure songs <laughs> that are my favorites. And it was really, really special. And uh, I was in the Motor City and he opened the show with Drive My Car. It was just a very special evening with my dad there and uh, something we could both enjoy with the Beatles. So Awesome. Caesar, what's your favorite Beatles song? Ooh, if I have to pick one, there is one called In My Life. It's in the Rubber Soul album, and it meant a lot to me at a very special time in my life, and uh, just a beautiful song. Well said. Let's go into blank versus blank, and we're going to give you a couple options, and if you'd be willing to pick one, go ahead. Albert, kick us off. Caesar, I know you drive a lot for work, so if an officer is likely to pull you over, what would he be pulling you over for? Speeding or singing off key in the car? <laughs> It would be probably speeding and perhaps <laughs> distracted driving, <laughs> trying to multitask when I'm driving. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but uh, I do it. And you do it too. I know you do it. Well, I know, but isn't your car like a little karaoke bar when it's going down the highway? Oh, you know, that that's true. It's <laughs> two things I listen to when I'm driving is podcasts and, you know, Jared and Albert make the list and uh, karaoke tracks on YouTube. It's a lot of fun to drive down the highway and sing at the top of my lungs. <laughs> There's people taking notes right now. I was like, I'm going to do that. All right. Next blank versus blank. Favorite form of dancing, break dancing versus swing dancing. 
You've done your research, Jared. <laughs> swing dancing. As you may know, I taught swing dancing at the university and different places at dance studios when I lived in Toronto. And it was a big part of my life about 10 years ago, 15 years ago until... And it's a great community. Swing dancing is a great community. All over the world, they have uh, conferences, what they call Lindy Hop Exchanges, where people go and they spend a weekend of non-party, 24 hours a day, non-stop partying, 24 hours a day, dancing back to back. And you stay with local dancers and just a great community. And to this day, when I'm traveling for work, if it's a major city, I try to hook up with the local swing dance community and I go out dancing for a night and I meet old friends. And it's a great way to meet people and uh, exercise at the same time. <laughs> Caesar likes to boogie. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's go into finish this sentence. And Albert and I will give you the beginning of a sentence if you'd be willing to finish it. Kick us off, please, Albert. Caesar, the number of times that your family has watched Frozen is approaching infinity. <laughs> oh, Lord. And the kids know not only the lyrics of the songs, but also the all the dialogue in the movie, but also they know how to reenact all the scenes, you know, where to step, where to open the door, when to close things. It's nuts. And I'm not sick of it yet, which is weird. It's just really catchy. <laughs> Caesar, I have a request. Yes. Could you record a little video with your phone of you and your wife and your kids singing Love is an Open Door in the car? That would be cool. <laughs> I will do that. I'll do that this oh, weekend. Yes. All right, I, I want to see that when you do that. Okay, the last finish this sentence. When using the Nike Plus running app, it is important to... It is important to, number one, make sure you have a GPS signal. Number two, is important that you actually start the run. And a lot of times I would just fire up the app and forget to press start. And then number two, share it with the world. I think it's really, especially when it comes to fitness and improving yourself, when you tell people what you're doing, it just adds an extra layer of accountability that I know I myself need. So is what I say. If you don't share that you just run, you didn't run. Well said. Hmm. Okay. When I run too slow, I don't share that one. I'm a slow runner. I call my running a, a lazy jog, but I'm still doing laps around people on the couch, you know. All right. I'm still on the brisk walk mode, but yeah. <laughs> All right. How about some true or false? I got one here. Caesar, Canadians should lose their citizenship if they do not enjoy drinking beer. True or false? I'd have to say false because I am a Canadian citizen. I have to say beer is not my favorite thing to drink. And I know, I hope <laughs> Canada and the U.S. can forgive me. But uh, if that rule was applied, then I would have to turn in my passport. Caesar, there's some listeners right now. It's like, okay, like swing dancing. He doesn't drink beer. <laughs> like, who is this guy? All right, let's go to the next true or false. The World Cup is in Brazil this year. So true or false, all Brazilians know how to play soccer very well. That is another myth because just like I'm a Canadian who doesn't like beer, I'm a Brazilian who is really bad at playing soccer. So Jared, I don't like where this interview is going. <laughs> We're here to encourage you and inspire you. But you, so. you know, it's funny. Every time I tell people that I'm from Brazil, they always want me to play in their team, you know, at work and at school. I say, listen, yeah, I grew up there, but I'm really bad. I say, well, you know, but how bad can you be? You're bad because you're from there, you know, among all those good players. But here you're going to be great. And then they see me playing and then that lasts about 15 minutes and they put me on the bench. <laughs> you tried to warn them. I try. <laughs> all right. And they have beer back there for me to drink, which is... All right, we got some questions for you, Caesar. You initially created a construction industry podcast, and then you eventually catered to a wider public through PM for the Masses. What has driven you to do this? 
Well, the very short version of the story is because I work for a small family company. I wear a lot of hats, including marketing and, and sales. And back in 2010, I read somewhere that companies should have a blog. So I started a blog called The Construction Bridge and I started blogging. Even though I'm in the construction industry and I provide a service to the construction industry, I am not a construction guy. You know, my degree is in electrical engineering. So I didn't really have a lot to talk about. Right? So I started interviewing people by email for this blog. It turned into a chore for me. It was hard to keep up and just kind of it out. And around that time, I listened to an interview on the Pat Flynn show with a guy named Cliff Ravenscraft. And he said that every company should have a podcast. And I was a big fan, big consumer of podcasts at the time. And I just had this crazy thought. What if I turned my company blog into a podcast? So I started doing the construction industry podcast and uh, in 2011. And I just had a blast. It was so much fun to do. It was great. I just had a ball. You know, I got to speak with, you know, you guys know this, you know, you get to speak with all these wonderful people who are doing great work. And that podcast won industry awards in the construction industry. And then I felt it was time for me to take my own passion, you know, and turn that into a podcast. Because again, I was doing the construction industry podcast for my target market, not necessarily for myself. So I started the project management for the Masses podcast um, last year. And this show is my little baby. You know, I talk about topics that are really close to my heart. As you may know, project management really changed who I am and, and everything that I do. So it's something I'm passionate about. I'd like to talk about. I could go on and on for hours. And I'm privileged enough to talk to wonderful people who are doing great work that is applicable to project managers and to what project managers do, which is to get things done. Well said. Caesar, you've been a speaker at several conferences and events, so on and so forth. So how do you get over your insecurities and fears when you're presenting? You know, uh, Jared, I start with this thought, you know, I just 10 years, uh, 15 years ago, I couldn't speak English. So anything I do from that point on, it, it's a bonus. Get in front of the audience. I try to start with a story because I find that when I'm attending lectures and speeches, that is usually what hooks me, you know, like when a story that people can relate to. And then I make sure that they know who I am. That way, if I do make a mistake or if I do seem nervous, it becomes part of my presentation and people might remember me for that. You know? So try to turn potential you know, moments of failure or anxiousness into opportunities. And you can really do that well when you're speaking and when you're podcasting way better than when you're, let's say, writing a blog. Because when you're writing a blog, for example, and you make a grammar error, that's very hard to forgive you know, for a reader. But when you're speaking and you're being yourself and you're there and you're looking at people in the eye, uh, then it's a lot easier to, you know, if you make a mistake or if you, you know, if you're human, if you show your humanity, not only is that more forgivable, but also it can work for you. Very cool. Caesar. in a recent podcast, you were talking about the fact that a presentation is about the audience and taking them from point A to point B. Could you expand on this? Yes. I didn't come up with this idea myself. I read this on a book by Nancy Duarte called Resonate. And she talks about the fact that uh, presentations and speeches are not about you as a presenter. It's not even about the content. It's about the audience. And she makes a comparison between you and the audience and Obi-Wan and Luke Skywalker. You know, your goal as a presenter is to be Obi-Wan to Luke Skywalker, which is to present them with an idea, which is, you know, in the case of Star Wars, is to go and defeat the Death Star and then take them to the edge of making a decision. Be compelling with your argument, with your slides, with your presentation. So Luke Skywalker will decide to join the rebel force, you know. So this is what I mean by taking them from point A to point B, because that applies to anything. Like if you're doing a presentation on podcasting or on project management, you need to have a point that you want to make and you need to compel your audience to make a decision about something, you know, to take them from point A in which they 
don't know of an idea or concept all the way to point B where now they're educated, they know the benefits and the drawbacks of making a decision and then encourage them to make that decision. And that can be your call to action at the end. And then, you know, hopefully you have a product or a service that can actually provide an answer for them. And that's why speaking is a great opportunity because especially if you're being paid to speak, being paid to actually market what, you know, a solution that you can provide to your audience. And you do that by taking them on a journey. All right, Caesar. So one of the questions I'm sure everyone listening is dying to know is what is your personal definition of the internet? Ooh, the internet. You can look that up in the dictionary and it's <laughs> going to be accurate. <laughs> it's going to be talking about computers and networks and TCP IP protocols and things like that. But the way I see it, the internet, if you think of a Venn diagram, so one circle, one bubble is people, the other bubble is content. The internet is the intersection of these two bubbles. Because everything you do online has to do with people and content, even social media. Facebook is a bunch of people posting content. YouTube is people posting video content and other people comments, which are content. So if you are to succeed online and do things online, you need to keep that in mind that you're going to have to deal with people and content. And the best way to leverage the internet to work for you is to do that really well, you know, to connect with people on a deep level. And both you, Jared and Albert, you guys do this brilliantly and generating content and interacting with content that other people provide. If you get those two things, then the sky's the limit. Hmm. Hey, Albert, will you read this next question as Christopher Walken? <laughs> sure. It's very great to be here with you, Caesar. <laughs> I'm big fans here. I was just cooking some chicken and I got the Skype invite and I came in. But anyway, Caesar, this is all about you, the show, not about me, because I've, I've won a lot of awards. So maybe we'll give some time toward you. Maybe you win something else. All right. The web is all consuming. It's, it sucks you in like a vacuum. And you mentioned putting the intention of the web toward your goals and interacting with people. What is the power of being intentional online? What does that mean to you? And how do you do that? Christopher Walken is a great dancer, by the way. I, to say that. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Walken. Well, being intentional online. Here's the thing. When you're done listening to this podcast, go and Google your name. Put it in quotation marks. So especially if you have a common name like John Smith, you know, put it in quotation marks and see what comes up. And if you don't like it, if you don't like the results, then that's what I mean. You need to be intentional about the trail that you're leaving behind when you are online. And the best way to do that, and I kind of hinted at this, um, you know, earlier, is to engage with people and content. And with content, you can create your own, which is the ideal, you know, either blogs or podcasts or video channels, things like that. Or you can even interact with content that's already there. You can be a curator or for content pertaining to a niche or an industry. And then you need to interact with people. So let's say you create a blog post or you create a podcast episode. You need to go and tell the world that you've done it and especially the people that you think would be best served by the content that you created and be helpful. And then little by little, the internet is going to change its opinion of you. And as you go on, you know, some months or years down the road, when you Google your name, then you start seeing things that you want to be associated with and not, you know, just party pictures in your Facebook profile. So when you're intentional online, then the, the internet starts to reflect who you want to be seen as and, you know, having a reputation that you want to have. Susan, let's talk a little bit about project management. That term can be a little bit broad or vague for some people. So you are what I consider a project management expert. How do you define project management? 
Well, what is a project, first of all, right? Project is something that has a beginning and an end and creates a unique service or product or result. And that's why I say that life is a project and you are the manager because everything in life has a beginning and an end and generates a result or a service that's unique, including your life. Your life is going to have a beginning and an end and the legacy you're going to leave is truly unique. So when you look at life and things you do as projects, then there is this uh, super awesome secret that the corporations have known for years. Uh, which is that the art and science of actually getting projects done. And I feel like this knowledge has been trapped in the cubicle and needs to be taken out to the world. Project management is what allows Apple, for example, to deliver a new iPhone in you know hundreds of countries at the same time on the same day. Everybody gets one, right? When you think about the complexity that it's involved in that, it's mind-boggling. Yet they hit the mark every time. Not just Apple, but Google, Amazon, all these big companies, they know how to do it. And my message is you can take that and apply it to your life Right. So if you have a goal, be it, you know, get a job or you want to start a family or you want to educate your kids or you want to start a business, you can look at those things as projects. And then there is a set of tools that is available to you. And the problem is it's very much in a corporate ease. You know, it's a very corporate language. So what I try to do with the show and with what I do online and when I talk to people one on one is to explain the basic principles of project management, which is to you know, come up with deliverables and break them down into tasks. And then you can estimate how much it's going to cost, you know, how long it's going to take, how many people are going to need to have on board to get that done. And then you start applying those principles and then you can actually not be intimidated by projects anymore. You know? So for example, right now I'm thinking of writing a book and it's mind boggling all the things you need to do to get a book published. But when you look at that as a project now, okay, I can apply this system that is known as project management that will provide me with tools. So now I don't need to be intimidated by the project. I can just focus on what's really important, which is the content of the book and who I want to reach instead of all the little, you know, complexities that comes along with completing a project like that. So that's what I think project management is, a system and a set of tools and a methodology for you to get things done and break things down so they're manageable and non-chewable bite-sized tasks that you can either do yourself or delegate and get it done in the end. Hey, Caesar, we're fortunate to this just happen. Our next guest question, we have a guest that's going to ask this question. It's Elvis Presley. Uh, we feel very honored to have Elvis. Elvis, if you'd ask the next question. Don't be cruel to our... Oh, I'm on? Hey, man. Caesar, <laughs> how are you, man? Good, Elvis. I thought you were dead. <laughs> well, it's a modern technology, man. Uh, we've got lots of stuff coming down the pipe, and uh, you'll be hearing more about of dead celebrities in the future. Don't worry about that, man. <laughs> I want to take care of some. some. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I want to take care of some business. Give us an example, man, of project management and how you'd apply that to a specific area of your life, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you an example. You know, this specific area of my life. So let's say, let's use the book for example. Book is a perfect example. So the first thing you need to do is uh, you brainstorm and you write down everything that comes to mind, even if it's unrelated to our high level, low level, you know, tasks, anything you can think about when it comes to that project. So for writing a book, first things that came to my mind is a title, content, cover design, you know, ISBN number, how do you get that? You know, a library of Congress and proofreading, all these things, you just write it down. And what I do, I create a mind map. Okay, in which the center bubble is the name of the project. And then the first level of bubbles, they are the top deliverables. So in, in the book, it would be one of the bubbles would be final shipping. Another bubble would be finishing manuscript and things like that. And then you take each one of those bubbles and then you break them down into sub bubbles. Right. This mind map is not about tasks, but it's about deliverables. So let's say you are think about this way. If you are selling your service as a project manager to someone who's trying to write a book, those bubbles are going to be things that when they're done, you get to charge them for. 
right? So there'd be like a deliverable instead of a task. So for example, finishing manuscript, it's a deliverable. And then you break that down into sub-deliverables. And then you get down to a level that it's a task that's going to take you, and you know, they say usually between eight hours or 80 hours, which is either between a day or a couple of weeks to do. And that can be, that's called a work package. That's a task. You can either do it yourself or you can delegate to people. Once you have that break broken down into those tasks, then it becomes really simple. It's just a matter of collecting those tasks. You can sequence them, see which ones come first and next. And then you can say, okay, do I have the knowledge to do this myself? No, I don't. So I need to find someone to outsource it to. And then you can you know, figure out how much that task is going to cost. And then in the end, you can add all those tasks up, see how long that's going to take, how much it's going to cost. And now you have an estimate for how long your project is going to take how much it's going to cost, and what kind of people you're going to have to bring on board to get that done. So once you have that mind map, there's a word for that in project management. It's called a work breakdown structure, which is a fancy name for a mind map comprised by deliverables. So that's, to me, it's the number one thing you need to have on a project that is complex so you can have a bird's eye view of everything that needs to be done. And then with that information on hand, then you can do all sorts of different things, you know, figure out cost and schedule and things like that. So that's usually what I do for projects that I'm embracing. Caesar, I really admire that skill that you have because that's not a skill that I have. But you, I've always been able to talk to you and say, here's this. And then you're like, okay, break this down into 10 things. And I don't know how you do that, man, but you just have a special gift where you're able to see that bigger picture and then break that down and love how you do that. Let's talk about the pain in project management because it's not always a piece of cake. How do you transform the pain of project management into an opportunity for growth and success? And this, I think it's not a question that project management can explain. There's a bit of a spiritual content there to that answer. I believe, Jared, that I'm created by God and God doesn't make junk. So sometimes I feel like I'm not up to the task, but I know that I'm the right man at the right time in the right place to do what I need to do. So first thing is when I face adversity or pain or something that's difficult, I try to close my eyes and just think, okay, if I'm here and I'm faced with this, I'm the right person to do it and I can do it. And then Again, overcoming a difficulty can be looked at as a project, right? So I don't know if you have an example in mind, but think about it, overcoming that difficulty as a deliverable. Okay, how am I going to go from point A, in which right now I'm facing this difficulty, to point B, where that difficulty is gone? And what does that look like? What am I going to have to do or who am I going to have to ask help to help me overcome this? And don't be afraid to ask for help because the, the one thing you know, learning project management is that the project manager does not need to know how to do every single task in the project. And projects are best managed when you have a team or you have people around you that can bring different types of knowledge and skills to your project to help it complete in a more effective way. So I guess number one is the answer to your question. Number one is to know who you are right, (laughs) and know your strengths and weaknesses and have people around you to help you overcome those things and do those tasks that you are not able or not. You don't have the knowledge or the ability to do. Caesar, this just in, we have another guest that's going to ask the next question. And ironically, it's someone we mentioned earlier. Uh, Yogi, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for patching me in. My pleasure. Hello, Yogi. It's great, uh, Caesar, to talk to you once again. We talked earlier this week. But tell me, Caesar, in your infinite consciousness, what do you mean by creative narrative and how can you apply this? Well, <laughs> it was great to be on your show. I know it was. <laughs> Creating a narrative. Well, this goes along with, you know, your online presence and not only that, but also your career and what you want to be known for. And Jared, you do this well with Starve the Doubts. That's a great catching phrase that uh, when people think Jared easily, they think Starve the Doubts and that triggers a thought in their mind. Okay, well, he's about overcoming self-doubt. 
And over time, you become known as that guy who talks about this. So you are creating a narrative associated with your person that is desirable to you, right? So what I try to tell people that are trying to get ahead, you know, in this kind of crazy world that we live in today is to stand out by creating a narrative so people know what you're about even before you show up, right? So by the work that you do online or the way you look at your work experience and the way you spin it, you know, because you can take any experience and look at it from a different perspectives so that it matches some sort of narrative in your mind. So project management, for example, it's usually not associated with spirituality, but I'm a spiritual person. So I'm always looking at my projects and, and things that I try to accomplish from that angle. When you do that, you bring your own unique perspective to the things that you do, and people will remember you for that perspective, right? And we live in a world of conformity now. So when you are weird and you're daring and you do something different and people remember you for it, then it's really easy to stand out. It doesn't take much these days, you know? So create a narrative that you want associated with your brand and with yourself. And then people will associate you with that brand. And best of all, they will associate that brand with you. So I'll give you an example. There is a guy that I interviewed on the project management for the Masses podcast. He talks about risk management. That's all he talks about. He wrote books on it. And he's at the point now that when you Google his name, yeah, you know, you're going to find articles and things about risk management. But the interesting thing is if you Google risk management, you start finding his name. That to me, that's gold. So when people start Googling uh, Jared overcoming self-doubt, they find you and your podcast on the first page of Google. That's, that's a game changer right there. Yeah, totally. I think one of the things you're also known for, in addition to project management, is networking. I see you being as a really good networker. So what is the easiest and most open platform to use for networking? Do you have any opinions or suggestions for the listeners? You mean social media, this type of thing? Yeah, let's talk social media. Sure. Social media. And this goes for a lot of things in life. My favorite social media platform, my personal favorite, is Facebook. I'm comfortable using it. My friends are there. But it turns out that my audience for my podcast, they're not really there. So what I did when I started the PM for the Masses podcast, you know, you go and you create your LinkedIn group and your Facebook page and Google Plus community and all these things, and you hope that something will stick. And in my case, the Google Plus community all of a sudden started to get a lot of momentum. So what I decided to do is, okay, even though I'm not really familiar with Google Plus, I don't use it, and I really like Facebook, for me to cater and to reach my audience, I need to be on Google Plus. So I started focusing there, and I left the other communities behind pretty much. And when you do that and when you focus on one platform at a time, then really networking starts to happen. And in my case, I really like to look at each individual in the community as a person, you know. So I try to remember things about them and connect with them on a personal level. I use a system called HiRise that's provided by 37Signals. And it's a personal CRM, right? Customer Relationship Management. So I try to put entries for people that I encounter, that I network with into this database and add little notes and reminders myself to follow up with them. And it works great for me. And the best thing about networking is that you create these relationships and they turn into friendships. Tell you, Jared, about four or five years ago, I contemplated looking for a job and it was really hard. 2009, thought of leaving the family business, you know, I thought maybe it was time and having some difficulty. So I decided to look for work and it was a major fail. I couldn't get an interview. It was really hard. I'm not looking for work right now, but I feel like if I'm ever in that position, I think I'm just a couple of phone calls away from some sort of interview somewhere, you know, because of all these relationships that I've built in these platforms, because of the podcast, because of the stuff I do online. So 
my view is like you choose a platform and try to own it. We're going to be great on Google Plus, for example, and then invest your time and your effort there. And don't feel like you have to be going on Twitter and other these other platforms. Yeah, it's good if you can, if you have the bandwidth to be everywhere. But I think if you focus on one and you own it and you become known as, okay, well, if I want to talk to Jared or Caesar, I need to be on his Google Plus community, then people will join you there. And then it's like a snowball effect. On the line for the next question is one of my favorite hosts, Yvonne Lintel. Hey, Yvonne. Hi, guys. How are you? It's great to be here again. I was just cooking a roast. I've got the studio guys, all the people waiting. So I had to run backstage and get on the Mac computer they got here. So as a new TV cooking show host, I'm busy, like probably you are too. And I want to know, how do you balance your career, family, and your personal life, you little fruitcake? <laughs> Okay, I'll just answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I believe that we don't have a work life and a personal life. We just have a life. And the beauty of today's world is that we can bring our personal life into work and vice versa, and we can be a whole person. So that's why I think it's always great when you can find work that is fulfilling and in line with your values and, you know, something you would do at home. So you don't have to wear a different hat. I'm fortunate enough that I work for a family business and I'm very flexible. I mean, there are drawbacks, don't get me wrong, you know, of a small company working with family. But one of the perks is that I get to, for example, it's 10 a.m. and I'm home recording this interview with you. And really, it's not a big deal. You know, I don't have to go and put in paperwork to apply for for, for a free morning. So try to find work that is in line with your values and then work becomes fun and fulfilling and you won't see it as work. I just posted on Facebook yesterday. It was Monday morning and I was up early and I was full of energy. And I was like, man, it's the beginning of a week. I feel energized. It's great. And then I realized, you know, a lot of people hate Monday mornings, you know, so how fortunate I am. So I posted on Facebook. I actually enjoy Monday mornings and generated a lot of comments there. A lot of people don't. you know. But if you wake up in the morning to go to work and you're excited about that, then I think you're in the right track. Caesar, you started journaling last year. So how consistent have you been with that? And then what are some of the benefits you've discovered from journaling? Beginning, I thought it would have to be a blog post every day, you know, (laughs) with structure and stuff. And really, for me, journaling has become just a way for me to unload what's on my mind. And I like to do that first thing in the morning. My perfect day. It doesn't happen every day by any means. It's hard, especially with a newborn in the house. But ideally, you wake up really early and then you spend 10, 15 minutes in mental prayer and just focus on words a little bit, do some spiritual reading. And then I spend 10 to 15 minutes journaling. And that's just for me a way to unload my brain onto paper or onto the computer screen. And I start by describing what happened the day before, my thoughts, fears, anxieties or whatever about the day that's starting right now. And then uh, some thoughts, you know, what is my not just facts and people and numbers, but also what am I thinking about? What's my thought process right now? And that's really beneficial because when you put things down onto paper and you look at it, all of a sudden it's outside of you and you can look at it as a project, right? I always say life is a project, you're a manager, and I mean, and I try to projectize everything. So when you get something like a fear or something you're anxious about outside of your brain onto paper, then now I can deal with this. I can put that into my system. It's going to be taken care of. So that's one benefit. The other benefit is to say two, three months down the road to go back in time and read those entries from the past. I have to confess here, my memory is horrible. I have a horrible memory. I'm naturally an unreliable because I won't remember things and I will drop the ball. And that's why project management is so helpful to me because it helps me remember and keep track of things. But it's very interesting for me because of my poor memory to go back two, three months in, in time on my journal and read what I was thinking about back, you know, when I was pilgrimaging in Brazil last year, for example, and what I was thinking about, you know, as I traveled. 
So there's so many benefits that any, it only takes 10 minutes a day, you know. So anybody can do can do it on paper. I do it on, on an app called Day One that syncs with my iPad and an iPhone. So I can be journaling anywhere. And it's just really beneficial. And it gets you in the habit of writing, which is a good habit, especially if you want to create content online. I've never heard of Day One. What is that? It's a journaling app, so you can create an entry and you can add a picture and location and it reminds you to journal if you forget and it syncs across okay. your devices. It's secure because, you know, a journal is supposedly uh, private, right? So for you right. to read or put in new entries, you need uh, a password that only, only you know. It's great. You can add a picture and location. So I try to always add a picture to an entry that I took that day or the day before and, um, and a location. And it's great to look back and see where I was and what I was thinking about. Cool. All right, so we're going to start to wrap up here, Caesar. We only have one last guest question, and this one's a mystery. So I'm going to go ahead and invite our mystery guest. Hi, how are you? Hi, it's Arnold here. Hi. I'm calling from Hollywood. Hi, it's great to be here, you little baby. But no, I want to ask Hi, you a question before we wrap things up. Can I wrap you up like I, I hug you? I squeeze you? Sorry, <laughs> I lost my mind for a moment. What? Who is doing Something that interests you. Tell us before I go crazy. I have to get to the chopper. <laughs> okay, these guys are doing some great work online. Father Robert Barron and Brandon Vogt from Word on Fire. You know, all the things that we talk about, about social media, new media creation, blogging, podcasting, YouTube. These guys are doing that and they do it for, you know, like a church initiative, right? So it's not to make any money, but they're doing this. They're taking everything that we know about new media, online marketing, content creation, applying to this 2000 year old message. You know, the production is superb. Message is clear. And they're virtually everywhere, as I said, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. And they're really delivering a very countercultural, very old and nation message to this culture in, in a beautiful way. So I like to watch what they're doing because money is not what's driving them. I can appreciate that. And it's beautiful work that they're doing. Really appreciate you being a good sport. And uh, it's definitely good to have you on. So what's the best place for the listeners to stay connected with everything you're doing online? The main website for, for my company, you can find at constructionindustrypodcast.com and the project management blog and podcast, you can find that at pmforthemasses.com. That's where I am mostly uh, creating content every week. So you can find me there, pmforthemasses.com, and then you can find me on Twitter as well from there. Excellent. Caesar, it's Albert here. I'm back. I hope I didn't miss anything. No. <laughs> Good. Now, Caesar, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners today? Yeah. I talk about projects which and taking going from point A to point B, it all has to do with goals. So one thing I always remember, if, if you don't know where you are going, any road will take you there. So with that in mind, you need to know yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses and having a rich internal spiritual life really helps as well, especially with the big questions in life. Know where you need to go, especially in the big questions of in life. And then you can work every day to make your life relevant and intentionally lived based on your goals and your values. And finally, you need to surround yourself with people, you know, with the right people and the right people are... Not Number one, people that will pull you up. And number two, people that need to be pulled up by you. And you need to be willing to pull and be pulled. Pull and be pulled. Cesar, we really appreciate your time. Best wishes to you and your family and your business. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Albert, and all the other guests and <laughs> all the other hosts today. <laughs> it was fun, guys. don't 
know where you are going, a new road will take you there. So with that in mind, you need to know yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. And having a rich internal spiritual life really helps as well, especially with the big questions in life. Know where you need to go, especially in the big questions in life. And then you can work every day to make your life relevant and intentionally lived based on your goals and your values.